It's time for the Mr. Wonderful Show. Here's your host, Mr. Wonderful. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Mr. Wonderful Show. So happy you could be here on this December 15th episode. We are now officially 10 days away from Christmas as of this recording. So hopefully you got all that holiday shopping done. If not, don't worry. I don't blame you. There's still a few things I haven't gotten as well. But either way, welcome in. This is going to be a fun episode. Going to be the mad ramblings of uh, the crazy ramblings of a madman, which is what I kind of described the last week's episode. But either way, very excited to be back this week. Uh, A lot to get into entertainment news-wise. A lot of things to talk about. Trailers coming out. We're entering the holiday season. So we'll start... Uh, Maybe get into some of the things that you forgot actually happened this past year, but the National Film Registry uh, over there at the uh, Congress of uh, Congress, ho, 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 at the uh, Library of Congress has announced uh, the 25 movies that will be going in to the National Film Registry uh, forever preserved. I apparently can't speak to start this episode. So, you know, uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, New Nick Cage trailer is out. He's taking on his most extreme role ever himself. Gotta talk about that trailer. If you haven't seen it, oh my goodness, I'll play it for you. Uh, The Dumbledore trailer is out. The new Fantastic Beast, as well as uh, trailers for Cobra Kai. So we'll probably get into that final Cobra Kai trailer. Uh, before that new season, Cobra Kai season four coming on uh, New Year's Eve. Very excited for that. Uh, but a lot of trailers coming out, a lot of things like that. Uh, West Side Story at the box office has been a big topic of discussion, and I have some thoughts on that. Even though I did not see the film, uh, a lot of takes I've seen uh, really focus in on things that we have talked about here on this show already. So I want to get into that. Uh, but yeah, there is a lot to get to. Uh, also, if you have not followed this show, uh, you can on any streaming platform, wherever you are listening to this right now, we are there for you. So hit the subscribe button, click, and you will be notified when a new episode drops. Uh, so yeah, without, uh, any more hesitation, let's get into this. So over the past two weeks now, week now, uh, I said last week that I was hoping to finish the Beatles Get Back documentary on the anniversary of John Lennon's assassination, the 41st anniversary of that. And while I didn't finish it on the anniversary, I did finish it. I got to I got to the rooftop portion of the documentary and realized that I could keep watching it or I could handle the things in life that needed to be handled at that time. So I figured getting to the rooftop and right before they start that performance, which really takes up a lot of the third part of the film. And and that's the thing about this movie that's cool. It, it is a long buildup to get there, but that is the payoff to the Get Back documentary. But I paused it at that moment, came back to it the next day. So I'm officially done with the Beatles documentary on Disney Plus. And wow, what a documentary that truly was what an experience that was as a Beatles fan talked about it in the John Lennon ramblings of a madman episode that I've described last week as, but I'm a huge Beatles fan. I'm a big Beatles fan. There's a bracket right now on Twitter that uh, a guy I follow out of New York that writes for guy. I know I should say out of New York that writes for 
uh, some of the papers up there and does the back pages. So when you see those clever back page headlines, he's the guy that writes those and does those. But he also does brackets. And he is currently doing uh, a college basketball style bracket, I guess I should say. Because if you're not a sports fan, you're like, what the fuck's a bracket, Nick? What's a bracket? What's a bracket, Wondies? Uh, well, brackets like the NCAA March Madness one, the thing that has all the people that love sports filling one out, whether you know college basketball or you don't. He does that same concept, but he does it through Twitter polls, and it's anything. Anything you suggest to him. He'll do, like, your favorite episode of Beat Bobby Flay, you know, 64 of those, let's go, let's vote. You know, your favorite first pitch at a baseball game. Anything. And currently the one that is about to begin is a Beatles bracket for best Beatles lyrics of all time. And... You know, none of it's scientific, but it's just a fun thing to do on Twitter. And that's one that just currently popped up that I'm a part of. So, uh, you know, I am a real big Beatles fan. And that and that's like a that that was a hard bracket already. It hasn't even hit the main stage. They, he was just doing like these are your play in teams, your bubble teams that have a chance to make it into the bracket as the 16 seed against a one seed. So best of luck to them. But just starting with those, I was like, oh, my God, he's asking me to pick one of three different I am the walrus lyrics you don't understand I am the walrus to me is like I did some things man I had some college experiences and you know when when John comes in and goes I am he as you are he as you are me and we are all together I'll just put it this way I was in the right state of mind at that point after hearing that song so many times that I finally went holy crap I get what John is saying so asking me to pick a lyric from I am the walrus is like Asked me to pick my favorite child because that is one of my favorite songs uh, from the Beatles. So, you know, like it's a tough bracket. But either way, finish the Get Back documentary uh, or docu-series, whatever we want to call it this year. And I've seen the criticism for it's another Peter Jackson marathon. There's no need for it to be this long. Things could have been cut. Yada, yada, yada. All the typical, why does Peter Jackson make such a long thing when you can tell this story quicker. I don't think that's the case with this. I think part of what makes this so good, and I know, again, I've I've highlighted my Beatles love here. I know that I'm a big Beatles fan, but I think part of what makes this so great is that you don't have to be a Beatles fan because what this docuseries shows and tediously shows through its long running time is how the creative process works, how working in a group creatively takes its toll on people. I think it does a really good job. And as somebody that works in radio, there were a lot of moments in the documentary that I looked at, and it was times where you you saw them struggling or them trying to get on the right path of something or... Paul taking on a reluctant leadership role at the moment to try and get it to the place he needs to get it to. I've been there. I've experienced that. And I think anybody that's worked in a creative field can watch this documentary and go, oh my goodness, yeah, I understand why Peter Jackson is showing us this 40-minute gap here because we're seeing the struggle of four creative minds right now. We're seeing four creative minds in four different places trying to get to that one place but in the process of trying to get to that one place to create the thing that they want to create 
you know, luckily for me, it's not as bad as it is for the Beatles, but you're trying to create something and here comes somebody that has nothing to do with the creation that's now pulling you away from the creation because you have to talk about where you want the venue to be or what your expectations of this other thing that has nothing to do with what you are creating just takes away from your creative process. So you're starting to come together with the thing you need. You're all working together. And then somebody that is not a part of that comes in and is like, hey, but what's your thought on this for food? The F does that have to do with anything? Like I'm in the middle of trying to make this happen. That doesn't matter. That can wait. So I think the time helps that, helps showcase. And if you don't work in a creative field, you should feel the frustrations that are felt, the tensions that are felt at times, and hopefully can relate to that in some way or at least see it and go, wow, that's that seems difficult. That seems frustrating. And it is. So I was pulling a lot of comparisons working in a creative field uh, and being a creative person and really working with teams throughout my entire uh, profession, really, because at no point working in radio outside of when I first began in high school and college, have I ever really done anything on my own? My internship, I was part of a, a part of a morning show. My first paid radio job, I was producer on a morning show. So there were multiple voices, multiple people dealing with, you know, it's even if it's just two of us, it's still not just one person's ideas it's two people at that point there were three of us uh and then at one point there was four then it went back to three then it went to two and that was a whole downgrading thing then the next show that i did it was a morning team so me and somebody else having to bounce ideas off of each other uh actually i take that back because i did have a, a brief stint when i transitioned from sports into music where i was by myself but that was an overnight thing in an attempt to uh, just the the program director was just a friend of somebody I knew. He had done sports, moved into music, and he was like, I will help you with that transition because since my resume never read anything with music side of it, it was really, really hard with limited sports jobs available for me to find a job. So he did it more as, I don't want to call it a favor, but he did it as, but you, it was inside baseball, man, to use sports terms to talk about getting to music. But it was an inside baseball kind of thing where it was, I know you, you have never steered me wrong when you've sent any of your former students my way. Yes, he doesn't have the music side, but we'll put him on the overnights because really when you work in radio, if you get stuck on the overnights, and this was live overnights, this isn't voice tracking, this was I'm actually in the studio at, at like two o'clock in the morning, the only person in this building, all that stuff. That's a spot where when you work in the industry, it's kind of the we throw it to you because if you mess up, okay, fine, we can fix it. You don't want to mess up in mornings. You don't want to mess up in afternoons. And depending on the style of format of your station, you don't want to mess up your middays when people are at work. Uh, it all depends on what the format of the station is as well. And that's a whole other path I can go down, but I won't. Um, so I did get to do that solo for a while and that's where I learned a lot of uh, time management and how to shorten my stories when you're on the radio and get a point across in uh, 15 seconds as opposed to taking a minute 
you got to do it in 15 seconds. So that's where I started learning that trade. And from there, though, I went right back into working a morning show with two people. The guy I did my internship with, his new show, and somebody that I got to work with for the first time there. I did that for like four years, and now I'm where I am here for like another four years. So I've always been working in groups. So watching this long documentary about the Beatles putting together not just the Let It Be album, but the Abbey Road album as well, because a lot of people forget that that recording session was was done. It, it was the intention of recording. Their intention was to record a lot of new music, but it was to do a live show. They wanted to write new songs because the, Paul wanted the band to go back and perform in front of an audience. He was pretty much the only one. And that's the other thing that I loved about this documentary was it, you are seeing the Beatles at a point in time where all four of them are in different places. Whether or not Ringo really realizes it or not, because Ringo's like, Ringo throughout this whole documentary became like one of my new favorites. He's not, my opinion as well as a big Beatles fan changed on a lot of things due to the length of this documentary and seeing the way it all plays out. But yeah, the creative aspect of it, there was a moment as well where the moment where George quits the band, like when he did that, that whole build up to that, I was feeling for George Harrison because the whole buildup to it was George being like, well, well, here's my idea. And reluctant leader at the time, Paul McCartney's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's not like that. I need you to do this. And then George would do it. And it's like, well, no, 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 not like that. I need, I need this. And then George would do that. And it was just this back and forth where eventually it got to the point where George is like, listen, I can play it however you want me to, or I don't need to play. Make up your mind. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And just the defeated sound in his voice, I was like, oh, wow. I've, I know that, that sound. I know that tone. I have been there before where I've been told by somebody, I need you to do it this way. And then I do it that way. And then it's, you didn't do it the right way. I needed it this way. And then eventually you do it that way. And it's like, no, 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 I need it this way. And I have said to somebody I work with, I won't say where my job was at the time. But I said to somebody, I went, I can do it however you want. I'll do it. I'll, I will read it the way you want me to read it. I will say it the way you want me to say it. Or I will just sit there and shut the up if you want me to just shut the F up. And that should indicate to some of you who know me exactly what company I was at at the time and what building I was at at the time. Uh, because if I said I could shut the F up and just sit there, that should indicate to the people who really, really know me uh, where I had that blow up at. But like I felt it because it was it's that idea of I have ideas. I'm trying to contribute to this. But you in your position feel that you are better than me in what my position is. And you're not viewing me as an equal here. You're just talking down to me and you're acting as if my aspect of the craft doesn't matter. So F it. What do you want? I'll do it. Bye. The only difference is. I wasn't a multimillionaire the way like George Harrison was at the time where I could be like, you know what? I quit and go home and take off to like, he went like, like I mean, when he went home, he went like home, home. He, he, he left the area where the Beatles were at at the time and just left town. I can't afford to do that. <laughs> so for me, it's more of a, I'm in a, I'm in a position where at that time having that fight, it's like, just tell me what you want and I'll do it.
but it's a really good documentary and and really honestly catches the creative tools got my creative juices flowing as well uh seeing the manicness of it at times you know like there's seeing Ringo and George start to hammer out Octopus's Garden at one point where you just see Ringo he's like eh, he's playing on the piano he's like this is really all I got and then George is like all right but what about this and what about that and then he starts playing the guitar and Ringo's doing his piano thing and then Paul kind of is there and he's Paul then walks over to the drums and he starts kind of coming up with the drum beat as well and then John and Yoko walk in and John's like what's going on and then John joins in on it like it's cool to see like because I've been a part of create creations like that as well so it's it's again one of those where to see a group of people at their highest of highs when they are creating and how this band that really changed and revolutionized a lot of music uh, the world as we know it entertainment uh, to see how their creative process worked but also to see them at the end there where really Ringo seems to be the only one that's like no this can go on forever but Paul realizing he's had to step up as a reluctant leader and knows that it's something John's not interested in and that it's pissing George off and Ringo is just being Ringo. And then John, on the other hand, is is happy to be a member of the Beatles, but also is kind of hands off of a lot of the leadership duties that he once was a part of and just is there kind of like it, it's it. I, I, I felt every single one of them at some point in time, the reluctant leader thing, the hands off, the I feel my creativity and my and my ideas are, are stifled and I'm talked down to by everybody above me and I'm not met with respect to I'm just happy to be here. Like, so there's something to pull from this. I feel for anybody that watches it, whether you are a creative person or you are not a creative person. Uh, and then that rooftop sequence. Holy cow. I have watched some of the rooftop stuff over the course of the years, everything that had been out there. But yeah, you get to see a lot more uh, this time around. And <laughs> to see the gaslighting of the British police really had me cracking up when they're on the roof and the and the police show up and they're like, we got a noise complaint. They're just like, oh yeah, they're making an album. Well, why is it so loud? And they're like, I don't know why it's so loud. They're making an album. And then like, 10 minutes later, they're like, it's even louder. And they're like, oh, yeah, they're on the roof. Wait, they're on the roof? We thought they were inside. Oh, no, they're on the roof. Why are they on the roof? Oh, they they, they want to get a specific feel. Oh, okay. Well, are they almost done? Yeah, they got like one more song. Six songs later. You know, like one of the, like that had me cracking up really hard. Uh, but yeah, definitely uh, really recommend watching that if you, if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, if you're a Beatles fan, if you're a non-Beatles fan, if you're a creative person, if you're not a creative person, if you want to get into a creative field, if you never want to get into a creative field, but feel like your voice isn't heard in your office or wherever you work. I, again, I feel there is something in this for everybody to pull. Uh, I would recommend you can do it all in the three parts. You know, you could sit down, watch the first three hours, the second three hours, and like the 2.30 that wraps it up. Or you can do it in parts. I, I did it through parts. I found that to be f very helpful as well, where you stop, you know, watch specific days. And then when it's like, oh, we're getting to like day 13, stop it at day 13. And then you just pick up from day 13 on. Uh, but yeah, recommend the Get Back Beatles docuseries on Discovery+. Plus. Now, some other news to get to. Uh, West Side Story 
considered a massive bomb this past weekend. Uh, only pulled in a uh, little over $10 million here domestically. Uh, its global totals were only, I believe, it, it made $15 million globally as well, so or a little under $15 million, so not what Hollywood was expecting. But what I want to talk about is not so much the fact that West Side Story bombed, it's that the think tanks and all the people out there that claim they have the answers, and listen, I'm not claiming I have the answers, I'm just the dude that works in radio that started a podcast uh, to talk about entertainment stuff and just be goofy and dumb and just blow steam off for like 30 minutes once a week. But all the think tanks out there are blaming the audience and they're blaming the audience due to COVID and this new variant out there, uh, the Omicron variant, which I don't buy this. And I've talked about this before that. It always see, it seems that since the age of COVID, the easiest excuse for if a movie fails, if something doesn't work, blame COVID. Like, you know, over in the NHL, they're trying to figure out right now whether or not the players of the NHL should go to China for the Winter Olympics in February. I can tell you right now, without any inside knowledge, they ain't going and they're going to blame COVID. Because they're going to say, oh, we've got cases here in America that are disrupting our hockey season. And there are cases over there in the Olympic Village. No, we're not going. And they're going to blame not going on COVID. Just like people are blaming the audience not showing up for West Side Story on COVID. Where I also call bullshit on that because of the fact that you have Spider-Man coming out this weekend, tomorrow on December 16th. The first, the first screening by me is 3 o'clock, so I'm assuming that means they are starting to show that movie come noon in the West Coast, if they're showing it 3 o'clock East Coast. Uh, by the way, let's not forget Spider-Man pre-sale-wise, already was setting records, uh, not seen since Avengers Endgame, and the box office prediction, Spider-Man could be eyeing about $150 million open right now no movie released at any point in time was eyeing an opening like that and my argument is like i've said in the past with other things that we've talked about here other movies you know when when ridley scott blamed millennials uh for not going to the movies to see the last duel it more comes down to with the west side story remake who was this who was this film for I asked that from the moment they announced this. Who was it for? Was it for the Spielberg fan? Because you know what, Spielberg, I, as much as I love Steven Spielberg, a lot of Steven Spielberg is through the nostalgia eyes at this point. Because really think about Steven Spielberg, it's what, artificial intelligence, minority report, around that time? What, what has he done that's really honestly boomed at the box office. Ready Player One wasn't a massive success, everybody. None of his films have been massive successes since AI and Minority Report. And, you know, that's not to say Spielberg's lost his touch because everything I've seen about this West Side Story movie is kind of why I figured it was going to fail. It seems like it's just a gorgeous shot film but doesn't even understand its own source material. 
That is why this movie is bombing. I don't know who the hell it was geared towards. Was it geared towards millennials? Because guess what? I'm a millennial and I love the original West Side Story and I love Romeo and Juliet, which it's pretty much is that story. But there was no interest in me to go, oh my God, what a director of some of my favorite movies, Jaws, Indiana Jones, E.T., all these films from the 80s and the 70s from before I was alive and barely when I was alive with some of his 90s stuff, but a guy who for the past two decades hasn't really made a film that is huge, huge, huge. I wasn't sitting there like, oh, Steven Spielberg's doing West Side Story. This is going to be just as much fun as all of his other films. No, I was like, okay, cool, Steven Spielberg, you got a good director. But who are we gearing this towards? My parents, who saw the original? Me, who's seen the original? And that's the other thing. Could it be? Maybe we don't give a crap about remakes of films that are really, really good to begin with. We didn't need another West Side Story. I get that there are things that are problematic about the original one. When you look at it in 21st century eyes, yeah, knowing that there are people in blackface and that, not good. Yeah, some of the stuff, not good, doesn't hold up. But at the same time, the main aspect of that story, though, is all about overcoming our prejudices and that these are things that we can, as a society, fix where what I have seen about this new one is that a lot of that is missed. That, sure, they don't have people in blackface this time around, but also they insinuate that there's no way of fixing the issues between these two people or these two sides that there's no fixing anything it's us the audience's fault so if you shine it back on the audience and wave your finger at the audience the audience isn't going to care and maybe just maybe as well west side story bomb for the other aspect of the fact that um there have been protests against this movie since it was announced who the main star was going to be ansel elgort instantly got hit with oh you cast him no not seeing this movie so there was an internet movement for people not to see this movie based off of its main star for having allegations of sexual assault against him and uh, not just that but having a relationship with somebody underage and admitting that they were hooking up but claiming it was consensual but then raising the question of he was in his 20s, she was only like 17 at the time. So you say consensual, but legally the age doesn't match up with your story here. And it's not Transformers here where we're going to spend more time explaining some Romeo and Juliet logic uh, as opposed to the entire plot of the other two hours and 40 minutes Michael Bay makes you sit through. Uh, and they spend more time on the five minutes to explain why his daughter's dating somebody older than her and why it's justified. Uh, yeah, no, like there were a lot of things going against this West Side Story movie. I am not surprised it bombed. I am not surprised it bombed because it did not fully appeal to me, Mr. Movie Guy, as a, you know what? I cannot wait for December 10th to go see a remake of a movie that I already like. And here's here's another little fun fact for you. Um, you could make a Jaws remake, reboot, whatever, right now. Drop it in theaters. It will bomb. 
But if COVID's still a thing, they're going to go, well, it's the age of COVID. That's why this bombed. No, it bombed because nobody gave a shit. Nobody cared. And as beautiful as West Side Story looked, as much as people want to believe Steven Spielberg's name is still Indiana Jones version of Steven Spielberg, it's not. And nobody cared. And again, audiences only care, to circle this back into Spider-Man, audiences only care when it's something that they actually care about. And yeah, I get it. You got people out there that are mad at the superhero stuff. But as Paul Thomas Anderson said, he ain't mad about superhero movies because he understands that Spider-Man right now is eyeing $150 million opening weekend. That means, thank you, Marvel, you are putting a movie out that a majority of the audience is going to go see in the middle of the COVID variant that scared everybody from going to see West Side Story. Right? Like, if you're telling me that a COVID variant scared people from seeing West Side Story, then Spider-Man should not make money, is what should happen. And the box office should fail every single weekend, but it hasn't. Because people will go see movies right now. People will still go see movies, but we haven't gotten movies that actually scream, let's go see that in theaters. Ghostbusters Afterlife succeeded. Why? Because people were interested in that film. It was sold well. West Side Story was not so good. It was just sold as a, you know the original, now come see, see Steven Spielberg direct it again. I'm good. I'm very, very good. Because to be completely honest with you as well, I think the last Steven Spielberg movie I saw in theaters opening weekend, and I think it was even, this might also be the last one I ever saw in theaters, was Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull and all the CGI, Shia LaBeouf swinging with monkeys. So, like, that should say everything right there. That should be the message to Hollywood. But instead, think tanks are going to say, it's COVID, it's COVID, it's the COVID variant. All right. Uh, moving on to the next bit of information. I'm going to try and start hustling through some of this because it's already kind of uh, late into the show. But Library of Congress, every year, the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress selects 25 historically significant films for induction. Uh, there are a few films on there, like music, uh, like documentaries, stuff like that. I saw Ray Manzarek's uh, From the Doors, the keyboardist from the Doors. His first ever short film back when he was at UCLA was is being added in. Stuff like that. But the big dogs, the ones that really drawn an eye to the Library of Congress right now and the National Film Registry, uh, some of the blockbusters going in, Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, Selena, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Wally is heading into the film registry, and then the one that blew my mind but absolutely should not blow any of your minds because it makes perfect sense, A Nightmare on Elm Street is heading into the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress for the fact that it has made significant impact in the film industry, in pop culture, in every aspect of life that we know it. And yeah, I'm so damn excited for that because A Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger, he my fave. Uh, I'll just get it out there. He my fave. I love that guy. Uh, I... I no, you know, my girlfriend likes to constantly go, you know, he is a child. Yeah, I know the story behind it. It doesn't change the fact, though, that I think it's a scary movie and a scary character. 
I mean, seriously, he is a scary character. And in the first movie, the one that's going in, it it changed the game. New Line Cinema only exists. You, I I love I I still haven't done it to her yet, but I I might do it this year. She loves Elf. The only reason Elf exists is because of Freddy Krueger, because New Line Cinema was gonna go under. They were gonna go bankrupt. They were just distribution. They weren't a film company the way they are today, and they were struggling. And then they had this little film, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and they went, hmm, instead of trying to sell it to somebody, not really make any money, why don't we release it? And they released it after producing it, and it made a ton of money to where they went, hey, just make a sequel. Do it for like $2 million more. Make a sequel. And they rushed out a sequel and it made money. And then they rushed out a third one. Well, I should say they didn't exactly rush out the third one, but they made a third one. Third one really good, made money. And that's the thing. Like a nightmare was one of those where it's like, oh, they're making money. They're making money. They're making money. So it became the house that Freddy Krueger built because without Freddy, New Line Cinema would have went under. It was going to be a dead company. It was going to be gone. Uh, Merge in with somebody else. Who knows? Maybe Orion would have taken them in at that time. But they were... If it wasn't for Wes Craven, Robert Englund uh, coming in and dropping that Nightmare on Elm Street film, gone. So I'm super stoked on that. And yes, uh, to circle it back again to Elf, New Line Cinema produced Elf. So it, that always made me laugh when I went to the when I went to see that in theaters and the big and New Line Cinema came up and I was like, Freddy Krueger's home? <laughs> okay, whatever. So not the place you expect is going to be producing a film like Elf, but also, you know, it you shouldn't just expect things anyway. Everybody thinks Blumhouse is nothing more than scary movies, but they forget Blumhouse has also produced Academy Award nominated and uh, Academy winners. Uh, Whiplash is the big one I always remind people. That was Blumhouse, man. And that is a good movie. Uh, speaking of good movies, there is a movie coming out I am so excited for uh, this is a movie that is starring Nicolas Cage in his most Nicolas Cage-ness uh, possible. He is taking on the biggest role of his career and Nicolas Cage is starring as Nicolas Cage in the unbearable weight of massive talent. Nick, you've been living at the Sunset Tower for over a year. They love having me there. You owe them $600,000. Okay, I'm gonna deal with all that, but I'm gonna get this next role. And when I do, all of that changes. Then I'm back. Not that you went anywhere. Nicholas Cage, oh my God, I love you. <laughs> he was so good in The Rock. What about Gone in 60 Seconds? Have you seen Croods 2? No, I'm 44 years old. Why the fuck would I see Croods 2? I've seen Face Off and Con Air. We got another offer. What's it about? You head to southern Spain and you attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. I would never do that. It's a million bucks, Nick. I'll take it. The guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi. Look, if Javi wants me to fuck his wife or watch me watch him fuck his wife, that's a no-go. You understand? That's no bueno. I am Javi. Nick Cage. Nicholas Cage? Oh, it's fucking 
I am so happy that you are here. Is this supposed to be me? It's grotesque. I'll give you 20,000 for it. What have you got there? Divine inspiration. I'm paranoid. Let's just get up on the count of three and run. They're coming! Grab my hand. You're heavier than you look. I have a very big head. You go! I'll never forget you, Hams. Mr. Cage? It turns out we could have just walked around. Wow, well, I guess so. <laughs> Yeah, so April 22nd, uh, that is on my list of most anticipated movies for 2022. And as you heard in that not suitable for work trailer, so I apologize for not warning you uh, about that prior to playing the trailer for you. But yeah, uh, Pedro Pascal, uh, he's playing the crazed fan, his super fan. That was Neil Patrick Harris talking to him, telling him that he's owes owes the money and he needs to take the million dollar uh get away with Pedro. Uh, Tiffany Haddish is the one that's screaming. Oh my God, it's Nicolas Cage. Ike Barinholtz, the one that makes the classic joke of I'm 44. I've seen Con Air, uh, Gone in 60 Seconds, all that. So I, I listen, I think Nick Cage is still a hell of a talent, uh, a great actor. And I got to tell you, this film, uh, you could hear it. It just sounds absolutely wild and bonkers and fun. So sign me up. Nick Cage playing Nick Cage next year. Uh, very much looking forward to his return back to the main. Uh, I don't. I don't even want to say the main stage because yeah, he's been working for the last like two decades, but he hasn't had a film from a major studio. So seeing Lionsgate produce that, knowing he's also going to be playing Dracula in an upcoming Renfeld movie for Universal Studios. It's nice that Nick Cage is getting this resurgence back into mainstream as opposed to finding him on places like Shudder or, you know, just the random indie films that he's been doing over the past two decades. Uh, Really, ever since The Bees destroyed his career, like, that's the thing. Nick Cage became a meme because of a really bad remake, uh, reboot, whatever you want to call it, kind of like West Side Story, a really bad movie that we you know, a, a reboot of something we didn't need, but Hollywood decided to do it, and then Nick Cage became a meme because of that, those damn CGI bees and all that <laughs> Nick Cage acting. But that's part of what makes Nick Cage so fun is his, is, is his style. I joke, I was, I was telling reviewer Rob the other day because I made a joke on, on the air that I was like, man, I wish you heard that because this is totally one of those jokes that's geared towards like you. But that's it. And he laughed. And and then that's when I was like, I'm like Nick Cage, man. I, I As long as I connect with that one person, it's not about the general audience. It's about doing that one thing that that one person is like, is he doing that? How random of a person to be doing that? But they get it. And they know where I'm coming from. Uh, and that's how Nick Cage does his acting. Uh, other trailers that dropped as well, the Fantastic Beast Secrets of Dumbledore trailer. Uh, that one with Mads uh, Mickelson taking over for Johnny Depp as the villain Grindelwald. But that's going to hit theaters April 15th. And I, listen, the last film 
the Fantastic Beast sequel was really rough to sit through. Uh, not not my favorite of the Harry Potter or Wizarding or Wizarding World stuff that they've done. So I was really, you know, hesitant going into this trailer. Also, the Johnny Depp stuff. That's all. You know, that's I'm not taking a stand on that here or anything like that. Uh, making my comments known about that or anything, but just whatever's happening there. Like, there's just a lot going on with that after the last film, since the last film, that it's... I don't know if my expectations were low on the trailer or what, but I walked away from that so delighted. I I wanted to just grab my girlfriend, hop on a plane, and go back to Universal Studios because I was like, I just want to go to the Wizarding World now. I just want to live in this Harry Potter stuff and this, this magical world again. Uh, It could also be the fact that, uh, you know, um, oh, God, why am I forgetting his name right now? Uh, Walking Dead, uh, uh, Fogel or whatever his name is. Um, Seeing him, seeing the muggle, I'll I'll call him the muggle because I can't even remember. I'm, I'm really blanking on his name and it's pissing me off. But seeing him get handed a wand in the trailer and then the trailer ends with him. Oh, no, it's very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. That was so cute and so much fun, and and yeah, I'm all in on the Fantastic Beast, the secrets of Dumbledore. It looks like it gets back to what I liked about the first Fantastic Beast, as well as the things that I like about the Harry Potter films, so I'm down for that. Uh, Idris Elba made his debut as well. Uh, he did that as Knuckles in the Sonic the Hedgehog 2 trailer. The that movie is going to hit theaters April 8th. Oh, and by the way, uh, Fantastic Beasts and the Secrets of Dumbledore April 15th. So that will be out right before Sonic or that will be out after Sonic the Hedgehog 2. But Idris making his debut as Knuckles in the Sonic the Hedgehog 2 trailer. I'm in. Uh, I was in on this to begin with because I really was surprised by the first Sonic the Hedgehog movie. I went into that not expecting to enjoy that. I thought I was going to despise the Sonic movie and ended up really, really, really pushing for people to give it a chance. Uh, And if you've been on the fence about the first Sonic film, I really do think it is an enjoyable movie. It's not the best video game movie ever, but it is nowhere near as bad as the initial trailer the scary Sonic trailer made it look. Uh, it, it is fun. There, you know, obviously it's it's a dumb kids movie, but Jim Carrey does enough Jim Carrey stuff as Doctor Robotnik that it keeps you as the adult there. Like it made me remember why I love Jim Carrey so much. Because not that I ever stopped loving Jim Carrey, but he, you know, we we broke him with comedy. So to see him return to comedy in that fashion. It was like, oh man, this is why I was such a, like, why I ran out to see Liar Liar. Why I was like, I gotta see Ace Ventura when nature calls. Like, I have to see this Jim Carrey comedy movie. It reminded me of that. So, seeing him return uh, in the iconic Robotnik look. Some of the stuff in the trailer as well was like, was stuff pulled from the Sonic the Hedgehog 2 game. And that made me really hyped really really hyped i love that they brought back the voice actor as well from the game so she's going to be doing tales 
Uh, that was a little tease they gave you as well in the first film. So I, I really much have been looking forward to seeing what the sequel was going to be. And what I saw has me pretty darn excited. I'll put it that way. And then the last thing uh, before I go, I kind of ran through it last week a little bit. I did like that quick breakdown of what the 12 days of Christmas was going to be like, that thing I was working on with work. Uh, I, I finally posted it. I put it up on my Twitter, wonderful underscore radio. And we're now the 15th means it's the third day of Christmas. So if you want to catch up, uh, you can read the article on my Twitter, but uh, also I'll just run through it really quickly for you. So if you want to catch up on the first two days, day one was the Rankin Bass production. So watch one of those classic TV movies. Uh, second day was watch a Christmas musical or soundtrack. So and what I mean by soundtrack is that's something where like for me, I would say Just Friends has a good soundtrack because it's got the Christmas stuff. It's got modern music as well or pop music of the time era it was set in and the Anna Ferris aspect of her being a musician makes it so much better as well but then you could go with an actual true Christmas musical like White Christmas or I would argue Nightmare Before Christmas uh, but here we are day three of the 12 days of Christmas means watch that Christmas animated movie uh, I'll be watching Nightmare Before Christmas tomorrow is Tim Burton Christmas movie. So pick your Burton flick, Edward Scissorhands, Nightmare Again, Batman Returns. He's He's got a Christmas connection in them. Uh, fifth day is watch the Rotten Tomatoes Rotten Christmas film. So something that is not certified fresh. So yeah, you can get away with something that's sitting at like 54% or, some, or, or, or something like that or 50%, but it cannot be certified fresh at all. Uh, day seven, watch the Christmas horror movie. That's probably when I'm going to throw on Krampus or maybe something I've never seen before. Day eight is the Netflix Hallmark cheesy Christmas movie. Uh, watched one. Oh, I, I forgot to mention it. Did watch one on Netflix. What was it? A Castle for Christmas. Uh, yeah, that's 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 something. That's that's definitely a movie uh, that exists with Brooke Shields and uh, Carrie Ells. So yeah, dude, man from. Or, or Princess Bride and Brooke Shields. Yeah, that's that's a cheesy Christmas movie from Netflix I would recommend for that day. Uh, day 9 is a Christmas comedy. Day 10, any version of how the Grinch stole Christmas. Day 11, Christmas Eve. Uh, you, get, you get to watch any version of a Christmas carol you'd like. And then day 12, I left it up with your pick. So if there's something that you didn't get to watch or something you want to rewatch again, you know, maybe, maybe you did SNL day and you watched Christmas vacation, but that's your favorite film and that you always watch on Christmas day. Well, you can still do that. So, uh, have fun. Tweet me what you've been watching. Let me know how you've been celebrating the holidays. Uh, I'm going to get on out of here and go home and actually I'm going to go home first and watch the Chucky season finale because I've been texting review at Rob about that. And yeah, what a, I'm so pissed I fell behind on that. But man, I'm ready to go home and catch up on that. Uh, and then after that, I will be watching A Nightmare Before Christmas because I need to watch that. And I've been listening to the music for, <laughs> since uh, Black Friday. So yeah, there you go. All right. Have a great one, everybody. Peace and love. Peace and love.